All right, let's get the party started. Hello, I'm Jim R. And this is the Addicts Anonymous podcast. It is episode 72. And today we're going to be interviewing Kelly M. How you doing, Kelly? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So let's dive in here and let's start talking about your childhood a little bit. How was it growing up? Um, it was rough. I, my birth mother was an addict as well. And my birth father was an alcoholic. So I got taken away from them at five and adopted. And then my adopted family kicked me out at 13. Um, Did you, were you aware of everything that was going on when you were five? Were you, do you remember it? Not really. No. Okay. But uh, at 13, I got kicked out of my adopted family's home for, I started cutting and I had my first suicide attempt. And then I spent my teenage years growing up in group homes and treatment centers and foster homes. So what was it like when you were younger? You said you, um, when you were 13, when you said they kicked you out, you were cutting yourself, self-mutilating? Yeah. Did you Um, know? What were the reasons behind that? Did you ever figure out anything as why you as far as why you do that? I got I ended up getting diagnosed with uh reactive attachment disorder. So I couldn't attach to like my family that adopted me and that made me feel really lonely and depressed and just kind of alone. What happens when you have that disorder? I've never heard of that before. Um so like you get it if you're like neglected really bad as a kid when you're little in your childhood years and it just basically it makes it hard for you to like build relationships with people and trust and feel close to anybody and at what age were you diagnosed with that at seven okay yeah so at that age what happened did it who how did uh, anyone find out about that what made them take you to a doctor I'm assuming a doctor diagnosed you. Yeah. Um, part of the adoption, um, after the adoption, my parents, they took me and my sister to therapy and to see a psychologist. And the psychologist was the one who diagnosed me with that, as well as oppositional defiant disorder and depression. And I was just in therapy my entire childhood. Opposition, the oppositional one. How do you, well, what was that again? oppositional defiant disorder so So, is this that just how it sounds where you just can't listen to people you tell me to do something and i do the other it's just like a natural reaction yeah (laughs) so are there any memories of specific things you used to do what do you mean like are there any times where your parents told you to do something specific and you it was like a major thing where you didn't listen to them not really I mean I I don't feel like I was that terrible of a kid to where I needed a definition of it you know like I mean they'd tell me to do the dishes and I'd purposely not do them because I just didn't want to or they'd tell me not to eat a snack and so I'd sneak a snack in my room (laughs) stuff like that nothing big So what was it, what was it like overall? How were your parents? How did they treat you? I think they did the best they could, but I had a lot of PTSD and stuff from my childhood. 
like not that I was really fully aware of but I'd get like nightmares and stuff of like you know just the people my mom would hang out with from her lifestyle and um what type of nightmares what do you mean from the people in her lifestyle like being sexually assaulted from the guys that would come and go and stuff like that tell us about that if you don't mind um my mom used to sell my sister and I out for her drugs and so I would have nightmares of just guys coming in and stuff I remember hiding in a box that we had in our room um just stuff like that not easy I'm still working through a lot of it I can imagine do you know what the unfortunate part is I've I've actually heard that story before from someone else and that's why we do these podcasts and let you talk and tell everything you can because it might reach someone else that's listening and saying you know give them the feeling that they're not alone yeah what was your mom's drug of choice do you remember meth and heroin meth and heroin yeah i remember watching her shoot up a couple times very vividly i remember finding her passed out my mom was also a cutter i think that's where i got it from i remember watching her cut as well where would you guys cut was it in places to hide it or was it in plain sight on my thighs that's where i did so your pants covered it yeah what did you feel like when you saw your mom shooting up did you know what it was at that time not really i mean sometimes it'd scare me because like she'd shoot up and then she wouldn't respond for a little bit and it would be kind of scary and then there were times where she'd do it and then she'd be like super angry like and that was scary is there a reason she got angry i'm guessing lack of sleep so she was up for a long time doing her drugs yeah so what was school like at this time um Luckily, this all happened before I started school, but. Oh, so you were really young. Yeah, I got taken at five, like right before I started school, but I actually did really good in school up until I was about 13. Because that's when you got kicked out. Yeah. And what happened at 13? Did you continue school or did you drop out? I tried to continue like they had school in the treatment centers that I was in and stuff and I did pretty good I did end up out at about 16. Real quick tell us how did you end up in a treatment center what, what was it for? Um, I took a bunch of my antidepressants while I was at school one day and they found me in the bathroom and so I ended up going to the hospital and getting my stomach pumped. Was that a suicide attempt? Yeah that was my first one. How did they know what you had taken? Did you tell they them? Pack. Say that one more time. They found the bottles in my backpack. Oh, okay. Got you. Yeah. 
So they pumped my stomach and then I got sent to a psychiatric unit for teenagers. And then my adopted family refused to take me back home. And so it just kind of went on from there, bouncing around. Bouncing around where? Just different treatment centers, group homes. I ran away from my first treatment center and got, and that one was in Arizona. And I got sent to one in Reno. And then I actually successfully completed that program. So they sent me to a group home that was at about 15. And then at 15, I started running away. And that was actually the first time I tried substances. I tried crack cocaine in LA and How'd you um, end up in LA? running. I ran away. What did you take some buses or something? That's a pretty far distance from Nevada to LA. Well, actually, how long is that trip? It's probably not as long as I'm thinking. It's probably like seven or eight hours. I hitchhiked. Really? Yeah, I remember sitting at the gas station, and there was a little subway inside of the gas station, and I remember laying on one of the benches, and a guy came in, and he asked where we were, me and my friend were going, and we just said anywhere, and he said he was headed to Southern California, so we asked if we could ride with him. And he let us ride with him. What did you do once you got to California? Where did you go live? How did you support yourself? We ditched him. (laughs) He started acting kind of weird. He kept making random calls and stopping and getting out to make his phone calls. And so we said we had to use the bathroom at a Wendy's and we got out of the car and we ran over to Target and we stole a bunch of a couple sleeping bags and a couple backpacks and filled them up with food and we slept behind a dumpster. So you were homeless when you got there, basically, or yeah. not basically. You were homeless. Um, yeah. What did you do the next day when you woke up? Like, what was the plan? How did you support yourself? Tell us about that. Give us some details. We didn't really have a plan. We just kind of ran around, walked around. We tried to go stay with her grandpa, but he wouldn't let us in the house because we were on the run and he didn't want to be involved. So we left there and that's when we met the people who, the guys who had the crack cocaine and alcohol and started drinking them. How'd you meet them? We were standing outside of a liquor store trying to get somebody to buy us alcohol. Where did you get your money, though? Or did Um, you bring some with you? Her grandpa gave her some money when he sent us away. Okay. Yeah. So you bought alcohol with the money. Did you find some place to live? How did that work? Or did you just be homeless? Well, we were homeless for a while. We ended up getting caught by the police eventually after a couple weeks of being homeless. She got sent back to the same treatment center, but I got sent to one in St. George, and that's how I ended up in Utah. They wanted to separate us. <laughs> Who's they? Your parents? No, like the state. The people who sent us to treat like the centers. They wanted they didn't want us to go to the same treatment center because they were scared we'd run away, try to run it away together. So she got sent to the one back in Reno, and I came out to St. George. 
And what was that treatment center like? It wasn't terrible. Um, I mean, they did physical restraints. I got my fair share of physical restraints. Um, the staff were, they seemed like they really cared though. What did you do to deserve being put in physical restraints? Tried to run away. So they tied you down? No. So what they do is they sit you on the floor and then they put your arms behind your back and they bend you in half basically. So your nose is touching your knees and they have the staff laying on your legs and then they have the staff bending you down until you calm down. Kind of sounds like abuse. I don't know. I know it hurt a lot, but. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I've heard of people being laid on beds and they get restraints on their wrists and their ankles so they don't hurt themselves or anybody. But I never heard of being put in a position like that. That sounds like it would hurt. I forget what it's called. It's not a five point restraint, but yeah, it does. It it hurts, especially if you're not really flexible. (laughs) It was rough. But I think it was rough. Rough. What kind of programs did they do inside there? What was a daily, what was the day like? So you'd wake up at six and you'd go to your school. Um, They'd do school till about two. And then after that, you'd go back to your dormitories and you would do chores. You could socialize with people or you could sit in your bed and take a nap. Um, Dinner was at five, and then they had gym time after dinner. And then it was reading time after uh, gym, and then showers in bed. So very regimented. Yeah, there's the schedule. You stuck to the schedule. If you didn't stick to the schedule, you got in trouble. And obviously during this time, you were sober. Yeah. And how long were you in these treatment centers for? When were you finally released? I aged out at 18. They sent me to a job corps. At what's 18. that? It's, um, so it's like, it's kind of like a tech college, like where you learn either nursing or mechanics or like basic skills or whatever like I went in for CNA um but yeah it's just like a prep college where you live at I don't know how to describe it (laughs) so you live in a dorm yeah so at least you had a place to stay yeah but I kind of self-sabotage and I got myself kicked out on my third day your third day yeah I snuck, I got uh, some guys to sneak me into their dormitory and we were drinking and the dormitory person caught us. And so I got kicked out. They just sent you to a different one? No, um, because I was still cutting at this time, they sent me to a psychiatric unit for adults here in up in Ogden and um I spent about five or six days there and I met a girl there and she let me move in with her 
when we got out and yeah I started doing good for a bit I got a job and I stayed sober and whatnot and then she ended up getting married and moving in with her husband and I met a guy that I ended up moving to Oregon with and that's when I first tried meth and got really bad into that so how did you get to Oregon what what age did you leave and go to Oregon do you remember yeah I was 19 um he went out there to go visit his family because we met here and he went out there to go visit his family and he ended up moving in to take care of his mom. And so he bought me a Greyhound bus ticket to get myself out there. And I lived out there with him for about two years. So till I was 21. And in those two years, did you have any type of a, uh, substance abuse issue? Yeah. Um, his cousin was addicted to meth and I decided I wanted to try some because I wanted to see why my birth mom was so into it. And so I tried it and then that's when my substance abuse issue started. And you, were you able to hide it from him and his family? They didn't care. He he did it with me occasionally, but he oh, was okay. able to not like do it all the time. Like he could stop. So they didn't really care. Did you have a job? No. I was living off of social security. How did you get that so young? Um, the mental health. I got the mental health version, so they deemed that I wasn't able to work because of my mental health. What's going on with your mental health? Just really bad depression. A um, couple more suicide attempts since then, just all overdoses. Just got tired of feeling like every day was a fight to stay alive. So what happened once you were 21? Um, I went to go live at a, I ended up actually overdosing on heroin and I got, was at the hospital and then they sent me to a sober living home in Boise, Idaho that I went to. And of course, you know, it's a sober living home. So there were people using actively and I ended up finding those people. So my addiction continued. That was when I started shooting up. That's pretty sad that your addiction got a little bit worse while you were actually living in a sober living house. Yeah. Like I went there to go get help, but I ended up meeting the wrong people. And I mean, I'm, I don't blame them, of course. It was my choice, you know, to do it. But yeah, I ended up starting shooting which only made my addiction worse. Were you working during this time? 
Um, I was looking for a job, but after I started shooting, I just stopped caring. And then you were able to get your social security? Yeah, I was still getting my social security. Um, but all I cared about was the next high. How are you reporting it? Um, the, the drugs. Yeah. Um, I'd use my social security and once that ran out, I traded sex for it. How did that make you feel? At the time, I didn't care. All, all I cared about was getting high. But now I sit and think back and I, it makes me feel ashamed. And it also makes me feel super grateful that I didn't get any lifelong diseases. And which just makes me not want to use again because I may not be so lucky next time. So you were living in a sober living house. What age did you leave the, that house and why? Um, I ended up, I get kicked out a lot. I ended up <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> I ended up, they did a random drug test on me. God, I was so dumb. I don't know why I thought if I put hot water in the coffee pot, it would make it, you know, boil, uh, be made faster. So I put hot water in the coffee pot, which made it boil everywhere which made the sober living home leader feel like she needed to drug test me. And of course it came up dirty for meth and heroin. And so she told me to leave. They don't give you any type of second chance. Mm -mm. Not at that one, at least. What'd you do? Where'd you go? Um, I ended up getting a hold of a friend back in Ogden what did I do okay ended up getting a hold of a friend back in Ogden and um, they let me move in with them they'd been sober for years so they said I could come back and live with them as long as I I got sober so that um, I moved in with them started trying to go to meetings and stuff and I actually did get sober for two years How'd you do that? What you just said you were trying to find meetings. Did you ever find them? Were able to go to them? Yeah, I'd go to meetings with them. Um, I cut off all communication with everybody that I knew that used. Um, ended up meeting a guy and having my daughter, and she kept me sober. So once you found out you were pregnant, you quit. Yeah. So once your daughter was born, were you still sober? I was until she reached three. Um, when After she turned three a couple months later, I ended up going on a date with the guy that I met online. And he said he was a dealer and I thought he meant weed. So, you know, I don't view weed as being terrible, but that's just my opinion. Um, so I agreed to go on the date and on the date, he says he has to go sell and asked if I want to come with. And I said, sure. And next thing I know, he pulls out tinfoil. 
yeah so I was so he asked me if I wanted some and I didn't even think twice I said yes and I ended up relapsing and this was it wasn't last November it was the November before last year so 2020 it really goes to show you people, places, and things really do matter. You've heard that saying before? Yeah. Because if you just look at it from that perspective, all that happened right there was you had the wrong people in your life. But you mm-hmm. didn't even know it because you just met them. That's the sad part. Yeah. I was under the impression he was just a weed dealer, which, I mean, I was smoking weed at the time. I used it for my depression. And that's all we'd ever talked about was weed. He never talked about anything else. So, I mean, yeah, it's on me for assuming but yeah, if I would have never met him, I would have never relapsed. So what happened after you relapsed? Um, uh, I met all his friends that were on drugs. Um, ended up becoming friends with his dealers. Um, there was one time we went to go pick up and his dealer, I don't know what his problem was, but he came out with a knife and held it to my boyfriend at the time's neck and asked why we were at his mom's house. Like, I don't know if he was just up for a long time or what, but he asked why we were at his mom's house and I really thought I was going to die. That was scary. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, I, I remember I was just, I was, I was scared. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I kept using... Even after we broke up, I found people closer to home that were using. I downloaded apps where I could find drug that I knew I could find drugs. An app that you could find drugs on? Yeah. I don't know if I should ask what it's called, but I'm going to ask. What is that? Yeah. What, what app do you find drugs on? So you, you can get on Whisper. And I don't know if I should be telling people this, but you, I would get on Whisper and there's, it's not for drugs, but there are people on there who will put that they're looking for like a puddle slut or be, you know, like they wouldn't put the actual terms, but people on drugs know what that is. And okay. Oh, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I would download those apps and I went back to trading sex for drugs again. Um, and just got really bad into it. I started shooting again, lost my job. I was working at, um, a fast food place. I lost my job. My friend that I was living with, she kicked me out. Um, yeah, it got really bad. And did you have a place to live when you were in the process of, or not the process, just of being in your active addiction did you get a place to live at the time or I didn't have a set place to live but I mean I made do I would find other people on drugs that had a place to live or I'd go stay at hotels in the parking lot till somebody would invite me in the ones that I knew where people were on drugs at I'd just bounce couch to couch of other addicts <laughs> So how long, once you went back to addiction, how long were you there? How long did it last before you got sober again? 
Um, nine months. It was nine months. And then I ended up finally deciding my daughter deserves better. I checked myself into a detox program. I detoxed. Um, I didn't have insurance for rehab, but I started going to meetings. I was able to find somebody who sold Suboxone. So I got myself on Suboxone instead of heroin until I could find a doctor to prescribe it for me. Started taking Suboxone and ended up finding out I was pregnant. So I got clean last June, ended up finding I was pregnant in September and I've just been fighting uh, hard to stay sober since then. So when you were in active addiction, who was taking care? Were you still taking care of your daughter on your own? No, um, her dad um, is still in the picture. And so I told there like times when I was too high, I would tell them that I couldn't watch her. Um, there were times I still would take her and I try not to smoke. But I did. But yeah, most of the time she was with her dad. Because we were separated. And the times you were with her, sounds like unfortunately you were getting high still. Yeah, I I hate that. I hate myself for that. But I would put her to bed and go outside and get high. Was she ever old enough to recognize that mommy was getting high? I don't think so. I really hope not. She's four now, so... I really hope I stopped right in time. So you said you have a daughter on the way? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm seven and a half months pregnant with another baby girl. How's the relationship with the father on that one? We're together. We are working on it every day. Um... He's not, he's never used drugs, so he's been really helpful with keeping me sober. That's great. That's really great. Yeah. I'm lucky I found him. I don't think I, I know I wouldn't be sober still if it wasn't for him. So he's literally the only person I've got in this world. I don't have family. I don't have friends. I cut off everybody again after I got clean. So he's, he's all I've got. So, you said you got sober last June? Yeah. What's life been like since then? Um, it's definitely been better. Um, I mean, I've still struggled with the depression a little bit, but, um, first thing I did when I got sober was get myself on medication-assisted treatment for the sobriety for my opioid dependency. Um, I've just been working, spending time with my daughter where I can. I'm, I am going through a custody court case right now with her, with her dad. Um, I agreed to give up temporary rights while I work on my sobriety and get myself in check. And then in two years, we're going to go back to 50, 50 custody. So just because 
you know, he's got a stable housing. He's not an addict. He's, he's the better parent right now and the safer choice. So that was hard giving up custody of her, but it's what's best for her. So do you have any advice you would tell people if they were asking about sobriety? I'd say no matter how hard it gets, just keep going. It'll get better over time. And if I wasn't sober, I don't think I would have ever been given the gift of having the second child. I think good things come to those who work hard for it. And I don't live every day in fear, wondering where I'm getting my next meal or if I'm going to have a roof over my head or if I'm going to die that day. I don't have that fear anymore. And that alone makes it worth it to stay sober. Yeah. That was going to be my last question right now is what do you actually do to stay sober? Um, I take my Suboxone as prescribed. I go see uh, uh, my doctor who prescribes it. Um, he drug tests me and I go see him. So we were just talking about we lost connection for a moment. So everyone knows why we're kind of just coming back in. With the same question I was asking how do you go about staying sober nowadays okay so like like I said you know I I stay on my suboxone I'm I'm going to meetings um I talk to my fiance if I start to crave really bad or feel like I can't control it um I pet my cat <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah Animal I just, therapy can be very effective She's definitely a support animal. She'll come running when I'm crying. She's amazing. It's great. But yeah, just going to meetings, um, staying on my medications, and just staying away from places I've used and people I've used with. It's great. Sounds like you're doing good. Thanks. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I've, I've definitely... I want to give this child a better chance than I gave my first, unfortunately. I'm given a second chance to do it right, and I definitely want to do it right this time. And your other daughter's still really young, so you always have the chance to restart your relationship and build a nice, solid foundation to grow upon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I still, like, tomorrow I'm taking her to the park, so I get little bits of time with her, so... It's not like I'm out of her life completely. I'm just, it's not 50-50 anymore like it was. Well, I have confidence you'll get it back. You seem like you're doing the right thing. Just got to stay on track. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I want to thank you for coming and doing the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, it was great. And for everybody that is listening, watching, you like what you saw and heard, Go below, give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we post new videos. Also, check us out on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram. Another thing is we're on Facebook. If you go to our group and look at the events tab, you'll see that we do daily Zoom meetings at night. In case you want to join, the Zoom ID is 
404-904-9132. And the password is compassion, all lowercase, and that is on Zoom. So that's all I got for today. And until next time.